Bibles and uh, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 13. I'm taking just a short hiatus uh, from Mark. I'll soon return. Um, but we're, as a church, we're uh, on the brink of uh, passing a new set of bylaws um, that we're very excited about. It was one of the, uh, I think, several determining factors of bringing me here was to move the church to a true biblical-led eldership. And uh, uh, we're, we're on that. We're out ready to put those bylaws out. Our church family meeting, is, which for our members is November 14th, uh, so those will be coming out this week for you to start to peruse. And so I wanted to take a couple of weeks just to preach on the church and leadership and what the Bible says. It's so good to remind ourselves of that. And, uh, and then we'll return Mark 5. I can't wait to get into Mark 5. We've got the demonic waiting for Jesus to meet him. It's going to be cool. Um, but we want to take a few weeks just to remind ourselves what we're a part of. The grand, uh, uh, great work of the church in, in all its makeup. So uh, these are precious truths that we want to uh, reunite ourselves with and be encouraged. So look at these, just a few verses here as Paul closes out a letter to the Thessalonica church. Verse 12, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. This is God's word. You may be seated. Father, what a joy to sing to you such great truths. Uh, to hear and listen to gifted people play instruments and sing. But yet the whole goal is to unite us into one voice. One voice speaking truth, singing truth, grasping truth even deeper as we sing. And now as we look into your word, Lord, we are unlike anything else in this world. This is a particular people, people group of people. They're, they're special to you. These are the ones that cost your son's blood for. It is the church, the true church of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, as we study over these next two weeks, remind ourselves of the great work of the Lord Jesus Christ, how He gathers in His flock, and He loses none of them. Lord, remind us that our lives laying down for You is worthy of doing that, Lord. It's worth it, Lord, to be those who claim to, to be part of the church, to be part of stimulating one another and loving one another and growing with one another, Lord. Father, you have not saved us to let us live separate individual lives. You've saved us to make us part of the body of Christ. So, Lord, remind us of these truths as we study. May you be glorified. Lord, we'd be remiss if we did not remember our missionaries who are teaching these same truths around the world, Lord. Uniting people. Preaching a gospel that brings them together as the church. Lord, bless them. Be with those who couldn't be here today for health reasons, Lord. Help them, give them strength, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have mentioned several times this morning, the church is the greatest institution in the world. And I will take on anyone who wants to argue with me about that. Because in the end, I will show you that all other institutions will fail, will die, 
will not prevail against the gates of hell. (laughs) There is only one group of people called the church that will prevail. And that's because we're blood-bought. We're blood-bought. I want you to think deeply about that. That's the gospel. You're blood-bought. The Lord Jesus Christ purchased you. And then he took you and put you into a group of people called his bride, the house, the assembly, the church. All these terms, the building of God. He made us together. And so the church is the only institution built by God. Do you realize that? And now there's wonderful schools and seminaries and all those type of things. But those will fade away. The church will remain. In fact, the Bible teaches us that the church will remain for all of eternity. You imagine you're part of something all of eternity. You know, we, we have our Sam's Club membership, you know, and those type of things. <laughs> it last, you know. Get your little card in your wallet and says you're a member of ARP or something, right? <laughs> yeah, bye-bye. The church is going to remain for all of eternity. What a reminder to us. Jesus said, I will build it. And the gates of hell, think about all of that statement. All the Satan resources, all of what he believes and holds to, all the power that he has. He is a magnificent created being by God. He cannot stop the church. He has been trying for 2,000 years and continues to fail. And this gathering right here mocks him, in a sense. This is the church that hell can't beat. That is those who know the Lord Jesus, both here and abroad. The Bible goes a little farther, says that we are the pillar, the pillar and the support of truth. The old language called the buttress of truth, right? Whatever that meant. <laughs> we, are the, we are the pillar of truth. Who else can say that? You know, our Constitution of America is a great document, but it's not inspired. It's not perfect. It's a good way to run a country, but not a church. We, those who put our faith in Jesus Christ, who hold to the sufficiency of Christ, sufficiency of the word, we are called the pillar and the sport of truth. Do, do you not think the world needs that right now? And yet the church kind of shrinks back. Oh, more than ever does the world need the church and the truth that it holds to. But with all that said, there doesn't mean the church is not without problems. <laughs> Look around, but don't stare at anybody. <laughs> We're a bunch of redeemed sinners who battle with our flesh. We're tempted by Satan at times. We can say at times there's even spiritual immaturity in the churches. And there's even unredeemed people mingling amongst us. And that's always been true of God's people. One of the problems they struggled with was when they left Egypt, when Israel came out of Egypt, they brought a lot of foreigners with them. And it caused some difficulties because often, as Christians do even today, we let the world influence us more than we let our Bibles influence us. And so we have those type of struggles, don't we? And sin problems constantly challenge the church from its leadership to its members. You have a a bunch of pastor elders who are sinners, and we're striving to lead you. Now, God calls us to be consistently qualified men to do that, but we are frail. We, we, we struggle ourselves, and, and, and then the members themselves, we have all kinds of ranges. In this room, in this room right here, probably, there's all kinds of things going. There's maybe th- people in this room that are thinking about ending their marriage. 
There may be somebody in here who's caught in pornography and immorality. We don't know about it. There's, there's those struggling with, do they believe in Christ? Do they, do they love their neighbor? Do they love their other person in this church? There's maybe hard feelings between people. Think about all that. Yet Jesus Christ loves us and we're his church. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't give up and say, well, you know, they're never going to get fixed. We are his church. Even with our struggles. And as long as the church, listen to this, wrestles and repents of its sin and content, consistently battles to make course corrections by the grace of God in order to stay in line with his word, it will continue to grow and be a spiritual blessing to God. But there are times when we all individually in church, we repent of things, right? We get the right to do that. <laughs> because the sin that you're struggling with, Jesus died for it. Stop hiding it. Talk to them about it. And the more the church does that, the more unity we have. So a sinful human flesh, as sinful human flesh and Satan constantly attacks the church, right? It must hold fast to the means of God's grace that he provides for us. Well, what are those? Well, that's the word of God. Number one, the word of God. He provides for us a flawless manual of how to live this life both corporately and individually. Can you, do you have anything else that we could say that about? A flawless manual of how to live this life, how to know God, how to have a relationship with Him. For marriage, life, godliness, all the things, children, uh, retirement, everything we need to know is in the Scriptures. God gave that to you. And that's a means of grace. And yet, some, even maybe some in this room, I hope not tons, may go from week to week to week and never open it unless the preacher preaches it from it. It's a shame, isn't it? And so we go, well, this is the word. This is given to us. This is a means of grace, the Holy Spirit. Think about this work of the Spirit of God. We're going to have a conference on it because we believe in it so powerfully. The Spirit of God strengthens and energizes the church. That's what he does. He points our little faces right towards the word of God and see the clarity of Christ. That's what he does. He convicts us of sin. He encourages us. He gives us energy to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Its members are granted individual gifts by the Spirit of God. Isn't that fascinating? We just saw a bunch of people committing to be a part, an active part of uh, Riverbend Community Church. Hands, arms, feet. Maybe you think you're a toe. I don't know. If you don't have your toes, you can't stand. Uh, so there's, there is no body part that we don't need. And so we're made up of all these individuals to edify one another. The church marvels at the gospel, doesn't it? I, I hope you not stop marveling. We were in our BFG today. Um, Brian G. Quinto was teaching in there. Great text, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, the finished work of Jesus Christ. And all the Sunday school answers are coming out, and they're great, and they're right on. Oh, are we so marveling at that? That he died once and for all. Does that marvel? Do you marvel at that? Or is that just old church stuff you've heard over and over? Oh, brothers and sisters, we don't marvel at the gospel. We're, oh, I better check a pulse here. So many have heard it so many times and it becomes 
It becomes routine, but we must marvel at it. Let it motivate us. Let it change our marriages. Let it move us more towards holiness. Being more holy because God himself is holy and he saves us. It also keeps us having a tremendous burden for the lost. Spirit of God doesn't let you rest when you know people are going to hell. And yes, we are doctrines of grace and we believe in the sovereignty of God and God alone must know them and call them from the foundations of the world. We get all that. But I'll tell you what, if you've experienced grace, you want to share it with somebody else. Motivates our our evangelism. Motivates our desire to share the gospel, to pray for people, to beg God, plead with Him to save people. Do you have a pleading list? Do you have a list that you plead before God of people? I hope you do. I hope you have it in your Bible somewhere, on your desk, somewhere where you have a list of people you're pleading before God to save because you can't. Who are you pleading for? Who do you come before God begging Him? Now as we get to this text, we come to the church of Thessalonica. And and when you study the book of Thessalonians, it's a church that I really admire They're doing well. There's not a tremendous amount of rebuke within the book. And and one of the things I love about Thessalonica, is why I came here to teach a few few weeks out of this, is to remind us that there's a beautiful relationship between leadership and the church. There's a harmony within the church. I see that here. I really enjoy that. It's one of the reasons why we believe God was leading us, because we felt and believed in our heart that, that we could have harmony between each other, and we, and we see that. I want to just walk, go back to chapter 1 with me. Keep your finger on the verses. I'm just going to flow down quickly. Just listen to this, this incredible relationship between Paul and the leaders and the, and the members of this church. Chapter 1, verse 2, we give thanks to God always for all of you making mentions of you in our prayers. 3, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfast hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of God, of our God and Father. Wow, God's watching all those three things, work of faith, labor and love, steadfastness of hope. Verse 6, you also become imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation. With joy of the Holy Spirit. Verse 8. For the word of the Lord has resounded um, forth from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia. But also in every place your faith towards God has gone forth. So that we need to say nothing. Wow, what a statement about this church. Oh man, I prayed that verse for us this week. I said, Lord, let us be a church that loves your gospel, loves your word, loves your son so much that people hear that. You don't have to go around announcing about the great things we do. You just say, no, we love Christ. We love each other. Oh, wouldn't we love to be that? Verse 9, for they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had from you. How you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. You know people still turning from idols? That's what happens when people get saved. And and it's why people get mad at us every once in a while, because we come along and kick their idols over. We don't mean to. We just come preaching Christ, and there goes an idol, and, whoa, hey, easy, back off. Have you turned from idols? Verse 10, notice what they did. To wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is, Jesus, who raised us from the wrath to come. Amazing. Look at chapter 2 with me. Verse 13. 
For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, isn't this cool, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Wow, there's the qualifier right there. A lot of people read the Word of God with some magic bullet to it. Oh, I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to have my my Instagram verse of the day, and that's going to get me through. (laughs) No, the Word of God is for those who believe. So you see the depth and the glory of it. You accept it not as mere just men preaching or talking. You accept it from God. See the great relationship here, verse um, 17 but we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while in person, not in spirit, listen to this, we're all the more eager with great desire to see your face. There's a great desire between leadership and the church. We don't like being apart. I go away every once in a while, need a break. I can't wait to get back to you. I miss you. I can't wait to get in the Word with you and learn together. That's a desire. It's a growing thing that happens. It's verse 19. For who is our joy, our excuse me, for who is our hope? He's talking about the church here. Our hope, our joy, our crown of exaltation. Is it not even you in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are are our glory and our joy. Chapter 3, verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, he's one of the leadership, right? He was helping out here and has brought us good news of your faith and love that you always are thinking kindly of us. Isn't that cool? A church that thinks kindly of its leadership? It's, there's always challenges in church, but a church that thinks kindly of its leadership? Longing to see us just as we long to see you. Notice that beautiful relationship within the church. This is what God's design is for a church, for its shepherd and sheep to live in harmony together, to work together. And this is what Paul is after. Verse 7, for this reason, brethren, in all of our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy which, you, which we have received before our God on your account? Oh. As a pastor, I read that and I go, that's my church. I, I receive such great joy when your people, Lord, are loving you. When they're following you. When there's obedience and repentance. Just like I receive joy when I live for the Lord. That's where my joy comes from. And I lose my joy when I don't live for Him. And so you can see the heart of these leadership. One more passage, chapter 4. Just, this is, I just want you to catch the flow of this text. Look at 4, we'll start in verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as how you ought to walk and please the Lord, look at this, just as you actually do walk, he sees their walk, and then this little phrase here, that you excel still more. Wow. Excel still more? Sounded like things are going pretty well in there, weren't they? He says still, go more. Have you, let me ask you a question. Church, can we do more? Have we hit our peak? Is this all we got? I mean, is there anything else we can do? (laughs) See, I, I think the answer is rhetorically absolutely yes. See, Paul says, excel still more. 
And then, of course, he goes down and he starts to hit some things. And that's a good church. This is a church that loves the Lord. But notice what he takes on. For you, know, um, for you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God. And that's circled in my Bible right there. Anytime I see the will of God, I want to know what that has to say there. Your sanctification. That's that God has set you apart. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality. So this is a good church, right? This is a good church, good relationship between its leadership and the body. And yet he challenges them on some things that humans struggle with, particularly Christian humans even. Abstain from sexual immorality. That will absolutely destroy your view of God in the church. If you engage in things that Christ had to die for and you continue to stay in that, you don't repent of it, I'll guarantee you your view of God, your view of the church, your view of leadership, all of that will decay. And so he's saying, abstain from these things. Verse 4, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Honor God. He saved you. Isn't he worth living for? This is not legalism. This is not a list of things, although there are lists in here. We, as Christians, live for the Lord. Not in sinful, excuse me, lustful passions, like the Gentiles or pagans would be a good translation, who do not know God. And that no man transgress or defraud his brother in, in the matter because the Lord is the avenger of all these things. Wow, I mean, he's getting personal. This is business type stuff, isn't it? Christians should not be defrauding Christians. They shouldn't be defrauding anyone. <laughs> right? So he's, he is a good church, right? But there's still things we have to work on. Just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Be set apart for him. Be different than the world. Verse 8. So he who rejects these is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Wow, if I just read that list and you're going, oh, here we go. Bunch of Christianese stuff. Ooh, verse 8. You're not rejecting Scott, you're rejecting God. This is the mark of believers. Not because we have to, but because we get to live for Jesus. We get to say no by the strength of the Holy Spirit, the truth of the Word of God. We get to say no to sin. Sin is not your master. You don't have to obey it. Do you believe that? Is it hard? Yeah. But we don't have to obey it. And this is the mark of a good church. Nine. Now as to the love of the brethren, because of this phrase, I love this. I hope this is about us. You have no need of anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. It comes down to how do we love one another? Well, no one has to actually instruct you all. You're doing a good job. I hope that's true of us. Do you love one another? Someone said to me just the other day, since we walked in the door, we have had more invites to dinner, lunch. Kindness showed to us that it's beyond what we had ever seen in a church anywhere. And maybe somebody here go, well, I didn't get that. Well, maybe you need to be a part of it. Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than receive. That's the mark of a, a, a godly, Christ-centered, biblical church. It's more blessed to give than receive. I think all the time we walk into church and we go, okay, give me. Hope the preacher says the right stuff that makes me feel good so I can get through the week. Oh, I hope Hayward picks the right songs. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give <laughs> me. No, no. It's more blessed to give than receive. Jesus himself said that. So the church is made up of a bunch of givers, not takers. 
Give to the Lord. Give your monies to the Lord. Give your talents to the Lord. Give because he's worth it. This is a mark of a healthy church. This is a mark of healthy leadership. It's a mark of healthy membership. It's the mark of the church. Look at verse 9 and 10 just real quickly. These will pay... uh... Oh, sorry, I flipped too far. Verse 10, for indeed um, you do practice it towards all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, and he, he finally rounds this session out with what? Excel still more. Excel still more. I know me particular and, my, and our elders, I tend to keep my foot on the pedal. I think some of you feel that sometimes, you know, we... We want you in discipleship. We want you in this class. We want to grow you. I, I, I don't know what else to do. <laughs> I, I, and part of me, that's me. You say, well, that's just Scott. He has a lot of go to him. Gina will attest to that. My boys will attest to that. But, praise God, I finally found an outlet to use that go. And that's to go, to excel still more. And, and I pray that you go, Scott, I, I, I need that kick in the spiritual rear end. <laughs> I got to get going. This is short life. <laughs> you know you're going to die real soon <laughs> compared to eternity. For all of eternity you're going to live. So you just got this little blip on the radar here. Just for a moment you're going to be here to serve the Lord. It's just this blip. <laughs> and then it's gone. And we let the struggles of this life Rob us from serving Jesus. Rob us from serving each other. Rob us from being a part of a unified church that's going in the same direction because we're upset because something didn't happen the way we wanted it. It's more blessed to give than receive. Excel still more. Excel still more. Some of our guys are in seminary. If you look at some of the ages we have, there's a few guys close to my age. I'm not looking at anybody. And some of them have said, man, people come up and say, why are you going? Why are you doing this? And in so many words, their, their comments are, well, it may not be for you, but I know the Lord wants me to do this. See, there's a desire that he's put on my heart to excel so more in areas, to know his word better. And you take old guys like us who are trying to learn languages, talk to some of those guys, actually pray for them. <laughs> You're trying to learn two new languages, Greek and Hebrew so that they could handle the word rightly and be part of a, a bigger scheme of teaching and caring for the flock. And not how I have to go to seminary to do that, but, but you know, why are they do that? Excel still more. Why aren't you out at the beach today? It's supposed to be like 72 out there today. Why are you here? You can see why some of them aren't here, but we won't go there. Um, why are you here? Why did you just give up three hours of your life to come to BFG and church and worship? Many of you will be in DTP tonight. Because you want to excel, I hope. You want to know the Lord. You want to, you want to live for Him. See, this is the desires of our hearts. And this is the relationship. And as I look at Thessalonica Church and the Bereans and all of this group here, there is a great desire for Jesus. And they're running in hard, hard times. They don't have buildings. They're made up of slaves and free people, men and women, young and old, rich and poor. I mean, it's a, the early century church is an amazing group of people. You could be worshiping with your master. You're either going to 
hate God because he hasn't freed you, or you're going to accept what he's given you. Or you're going to mistreat your slaves because you don't like God and you think you're greater than everybody else. And Paul addresses those things even in a wicked society full of slavery and all those type of things. And yet he says, strive or excel still more. You know, I'm a slave. I don't own anything. There's a man who has a piece of paper that owns my me. He owns my wife and everything we produce, our children, he owns them. Excel still more. See, what I'm trying to point out is we, we easily, in this 21st century, look at our situations and we go, oh, you know, they just don't know, they don't understand what I'm going through. Uh, you like to drop into the first century church? I, I hear all the time people say, well, you know, church needs to go back to the first century. Really? You know how many problems they had? People denying the Holy Spirit and God striking them dead? You guys ready to go back? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, there's, there's beheadings. James, the elder, one of the elders of the church is beheaded. Jesus promises that his followers will suffer and die. They'll persecute me, they're going to persecute you. Do you want to go back? Or do we go, okay, Lord, thank you for those men and women who left an example for us to follow in you. May we excel still more in the 21st century. I think that's our goal as the church. So, as we press to these verses here and we see what Paul is doing, he's closing out this great letter of 1 Thessalonians, and he closes out with some real direct exhortations here. And his goal is to strengthen the relationship between the leaders and the body, right? If there's problems between the leadership of the church and the body of the church, it will have problems, right? It'll, it'll, it'll wave through the church. We see it all the time. Church splits and people leaving and going and coming and, you know, sheep swapping and, you know, all this stuff going on because there's problems, right? And he doesn't want that to happen. So Paul knows that the relationship between the elders and the flock is crucial to the health of Christ's church. And that's why... We wrote the bylaws that we're putting out. We think that that's, we believe that that is the way God wants the church to operate. We think it's very clear within scriptures. And so if both, think about this, if both the shepherds and the sheep fail to fulfill their spiritual responsibilities to each other, the church can never be what God expects it to be. So Paul emphasizes this truth. He wants this taught. He wants this healthy relationship. Now, as Riverbend continues to excel still more, especially in the role of church government, um, there's good instruction for us in these verses. And if you're new here, I just want to let you know we're not having problems. <laughs> if somebody's new here, like, wow, Scott's got to preach on this stuff. It must be a mess. Uh, no, we want to excel still more. So I would encourage you, if you're new here and you're looking at our church, is that you would recognize that RCC is... Um, not riding on our laurels or, or our success, praise God for any success it's had, we still want to strive more. So we keep studying the Word of God and we keep saying, all right, let's line our affairs up under the Lord better in these areas. So if you're a member here, keep running with us. Can't do it without you. Run with us. Get your arms and legs swinging and let's run together. Remember, contentment causes pride. Contentment will cause pride. 
and stops the progression of spiritual growth. Let's keep moving. If you've ever hunted something or tried to throw a ball at something, if they're standing still, you could nail them. Let's keep moving. Let's keep moving up to that upward calling. So let's see what we can learn in our last little bit here, and we may trail this into the next week, um, about shepherds and sheep here. Number one, the shepherd in his service to Christ's church. The shepherd in his service to Christ's church. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and, ch- and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. And that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work, live in peace with one another. When you first cursory read, you may look at that and go, well, that's all about the sheep's responsibility. We just need to be nice to these guys. There's actually a ton of instruction in here uh, for the shepherd. And from the beginning of the birth of the church, the apostles put great effort towards the leadership of the church. You see plurality of elders all through the book of Acts. And anytime the word elder is used, it's used in the plurality. So it's always a group of men that God calls to share and uh, share the leadership of the church, unless it's talking about the singular qualifications. And he always uses four terms that we see. First, we see the elder. And here we call the, it's, it's the Greek word presbuteros, it's, it's an elder, he's a, he's a spiritual, uh, wise and mature man. Um, then the word overseer is used, episkopos is, is the next word that's used to the same guy. He's got a spiritual authority, he's given spiritual authority and oversight. Then the word pastor-shepherd, um, poimeo, is the next word, and that's that spiritual protection and nourishment that they provide. And then the word leadership is often used, and there's a number of words that, uh, that align with that. But that's that spiritual guidance and discernment that they have to lead in the right direction. And these are always used in a plural way. So God gathers men, and so it isn't that the church is told to, to um, merely just appreciate a guy, but among those who labor diligently among you. There's, there's a plural there, see, that you appreciate those. Not a guy, you appreciate those. God never has left his people with a single leadership outside of Jesus Christ being the head of the church because he knows we're fallible men and we need a multitude of us to do this job <laughs> because we all come differently gifted. Now, um, Paul identifies these guys and uses terms. Acts chapter 20, we were in this on Wednesday night. If you were here, that was a lot of fun. He says, be on your guard for yourself. He tells the elders that. And for the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you, so the Spirit calls people, he gives a burden for eldership, has made you an overseer. So there he uses the third term, elder, overseer, excuse me, and then to shepherd, there's the third term, of the church of God. So we see these terms all through the scriptures. Peter does the same thing. So you take this early church, very diverse, very diverse, and he says, I want a plurality of leaders that you'll appreciate. Now, a couple of thoughts here. A, the shepherd labors diligently among the flock. Notice, you know, you think this is about just appreciating them, but notice he pulls out the highlights of what you're supposed to appreciate. Those who diligently labor among you. So the shepherd's charge is to labor diligently among the flock. The pastor elder is not called to a life of recognition. I know it's pastor appreciation card. And so, by the way, for all of us, thank you for all the kind cards and gifts. We very much, it's very encouraging. But that's not our job. We're not called to a a life of recognition. (laughs) We're called to a life of labor. (laughs) The the term is an amazing term. 
kapeo is the, is the Greek word. It means with great effort, even to the point of exhaustion. To exhaustion. And, and if you've not seen that, you should probably just go talk to our wives. <laughs> They'll tell you. Uh, that's what that labor is. They, they labor to the point of exhaustion. It's, it's, it's different than labor on the ranch. I was a shepherd, herder, you know, cowboy of, of livestock. And there were many days I walked in and I said, Honey, I don't, I don't think I could do more in a, in a day. <laughs> You're so tired. But I have also told her that term. Many times I've come home and I go, Honey, I don't, I don't think I can do anything more in the ministry than then God let me do today. I'm exhausted. Um, you know, from everything, from studying, the counseling, to direction, vision, and all those things, there's a labor that comes with it. And so shepherds cannot be lazy. When, when shepherds are lazy, people die. They just do. Because who's watching flock? In fact, more importantly, who's out among the flock? <laughs> it's one thing to be up on a hill going, well, hey, guys, there's a wolf down there. You should do something about it. No, no, they need to be among the flock. This is the, the labor, the intensity of the elders among the people. 1 Thessalonians 2, 9, if you just, we said this all already, for you recall, brethren, of our labor and our hardship, how working day and night so as to be a, not a burden to you, we proclaim the gospel to you. Paul said in Acts chapter 20, from the first day I set foot in Asia, and the whole time I've served you with humility and tears. Verse 31, he says, Be on alert, remembering day and night for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish you with tears. Verse 33 and 35, I covet no one's silver or gold. You yourself know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak. And remember, the Lord said it was more blessed to give than to receive. So as we move to a true biblical eldership, an elder-led church, it's not looking for men that want recognition. God calls men who are willing to lay their life down for the flock to the point of exhaustion. And then if you have men that work that way for the flock, you can trust them. <laughs> you can't pay them enough because <laughs> they work themselves to death. And this is what we see in the Scriptures. Notice it says, diligently labor among you, among you. So the shepherds are among, I remember counseling many young guys, young men coming out of seminary and they took a church and this one particular man said, well, I got to have 40 hours of my sermon. I just, I can't feel I'm ready. I go, well, good. You'll be preaching it to nobody. Because if you don't learn to study God's word and be in the lives of your people, because the Bible commands you to be among the flock. First Peter chapter 5 uses it twice there. Paul uses it here um, uh, in Thessalonians. This sorry wretch, that this sorry wretch goes, Lord, I'll lay, him down, I'll lay my life down for them. Because you laid down your life for me. And in the response is the church, a good, healthy church, lays its life down with its shepherds. See, that's what we do. That's a healthy church. That's a church that loves the Lord Jesus Christ. B, the, sh the shepherd is given charge over Christ's flock. Have charge over. Proestomai is the Greek word here. Literally means to stand before with, with a deep sense of care. 
stand before. Um, I remember my first contract when I was cowboy, and I, I worked day work for a lot of people, so just daily go help people, they pay a day wages. But eventually someone said, hey, we bought this ranch and they have all these permits that turn our cows out, and that's um, what we call open range, so they're not in fences, they're scattered over hundreds of thousands of acres. Would you take care of our cattle? And, you know, we were trying to survive in ministry, and I said, well, yeah, that will help. Um, uh, to bring in some money, and, and I know that permit well. I've been on that, uh, the guy who owned it before I knew. And I remember sitting down with this couple, and they began to tell me about their, their cattle. And, you know, it was a little over the top for me. You know, I don't name stuff because we're probably going to eat it. Um, but, you know, uh, uh, but they did, you know. And I began to realize these, these cattle, this was, you know, like 300 to 400 mama cows with babies, um, this was their livelihood, and they couldn't, they bought a new ranch, they couldn't get there, they needed me to run it for a couple years till they could get moved into the area and take care of them, and I, they were entrusting me with that. And, and though it's just an animal, there was a great sense of responsibility. I will stand in front of your cattle, I will protect them. I'll put them into green pastures. They won't know where to go because they're brand new. They're on thousands and thousands of acres. But I will put them in grass. They will gain weight. And I will do my best to bring home all that you give me. I remember telling them that. I was just this young pastor, didn't put it together. Oh, that sounds like the ministry. Out there riding one day going, huh, you're trying to teach me something, Lord? That's what we do. We stand before you. Because we got to give account to God. Someone said, well, this eldership, how's your accountability? Well, let's just start with God. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says that I have to stand before God with my fellow elders and tell them what I did with the flock. Scares me to death every day <laughs> in a good sense. I want mean, to start with that accountability. There's none higher than that. And then the accountability of, of working together with men, keeping each other accountable, confessing sin, repenting sin so we can lead the church. That's what God has designed it to be. And so we stand before, we stand before God with deep sense of care for the flock. This is, this is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is his flock. He's the chief shepherd. We are under shepherds. There's another term used in Hebrew about under shepherds that, that we get galley rower from. So if you don't get the shepherd thing because you've never been in the live box, let's go out to the sea. The guy's in the bottom of the boat, chained to the, the bottom chairs with an oar sticking out a hole and they're pulling on it all day with all the blisters and the guy whipping you because you're not going fast enough. That's the leaders. That's how the Lord talks about us. And he's the one calling out the strokes, the chief, the captain of the, the boat. And we're pulling. And we're pulling together. That's the idea of leadership. And so when he says that we've been given charge of you, don't, some people, I've had people get mad at me. Over there, well, you know, God's given me, you charge over me. I don't, I don't know if that's fair. You want fair? <laughs> Do, would you like to switch jobs for a little while? You want to go stand before God and tell exactly what you did with the flock? So, so look at that. Is that's, that's not just authority. And you can see, of course, where it could be abused. But when right-minded, right-minded men, men who love Christ and his word are brought up, it is a fearful thing to say, I have charge over God's flock. And you don't take it lightly. Notice it says, in the Lord. Well, that's who owns them. That's whose brand is on you. 
Are you riding for the brand or you're running scared? Great line out of a cowboy movie. You're riding for the brand. You're branded by Jesus Christ. He's marked you, each and every one of you. And so on the great day when he gathers you, he knows you belong to him. And he weans out, he, he calls out all those who are not marked by him. They go to another place, the Bible calls of gnashing of teeth and wailing. And he calls out all those who are ours, all those who are marked by Jesus Christ, branded by him. And that is his flock. That's what spends eternity with him. And he says, I want you to take care of those for a little while. They're mine, but you take care of them. That's the call of leadership. That's charge over a flock. That's not enough for you. Think about some other verses. James chapter 3, 1, there's a stricter judgment. I don't know what that means, but I'm scared of it. <laughs> Keeps me humble. Keeps our other pastors and elders here humble. Guys, you've got to give it a count. Don't mishandle the flock. They belong to somebody else. They're branded by somebody else. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 20. We don't have time to look at this. But we see a church discipline process. You know, we see somebody sin, go to them. If they don't, tell another friend, go to them together. If they don't, tell them. Tell, if they don't repent, take the whole church. If they don't repent from there, put them out of the church. When you get to discipline of leadership, according to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 20, there seems to be no process. If leaders fall, put them in front of the entire church and rebuke them. Ooh. Anybody ready to sign up for a leadership instruction class? <laughs> it, it, it's, it's real. This is how God handles. And it didn't take you long. I just read through the book of Ezekiel the other day. came to chapter 34 again. It's a monumous text. And God begins to rebuke the leaders, the shepherds of Israel. Good reading for you to go home this afternoon and go read Ezekiel 34. And see what he thinks about men who lead his flock in a different direction than he wanted them to go. It was scary to death in a good way. And so these are the ones that have given the charge. And, and then, and, and then it's just, I want you to just get away that we're just afraid. Uh, let me tell you the main issue that keeps us going. The glorious person of Jesus Christ. That he hung on a cross for me. And that God judged him as though he committed Scott's sin. Freed him for not only on this earth, but for all of eternity. To spend forever with God in glory. That motivates me. Motivates me more than any set of bylaws or, or what people think about me or don't think about me. Oh, it is the glory of Christ that drives us. He is beautiful. He is absolutely sinless. He's blameless. He's immutable. He is true picture of light. He crashes through darkness. The gates of hell can't prevail against him. He's everything. And so that's, that's who our direct boss is for all pastors and elders in any church anywhere. Our direct boss is the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. And so he is who we serve. And so that helps us handle the congregation. Let me get through this last sub point here and we'll come back and finish this off next week. The, shepherds, the shepherd is to feed Christ's flock. Notice it says, and give you instruction. And give you instruction into verse 12. What shepherds would come into the flock without any feed? What kind of shepherd would do that? What, what kind of shepherd comes in with frivolous, 
no-protein feed that's made up of stories and, and making themselves look good before. Or what, what kind of shepherd is that? You know what kind of shepherd it is? It's going to have a flock that's malnourished. That's what, we come with a truckload of feed. And you know, Scott, sometimes I'm drinking from a fire hydrant when you're preaching. I said, good, because <laughs> I'm drinking from the same fire hydrant. And I understand that I can do a better job at breaking that down at times. And in my excitement, I can, I can get beyond that sometimes. But let me tell you, don't push me to go back. I, I want to feed you. A good friend of mine said, Scott, when you come into the field, you bring a truckload of food for the lambs. And then you get out of the truck and you make sure that we're okay. That was a great compliment. And I said, uh, it was a dear friend of mine and years ago on a church plant. And I said, I want to feed the lambs and I want to make sure they're okay. <laughs> that, that's the job. So I think there's some people that just come in, kick the food off the truck and drive out and never look at anybody. Got guys sick. It's a couple of them just about dead. You know, there's problems and they don't see it. Or, or you have guys that spend all their time among the flock and never study. So the flock's well-groomed. They look nice and shiny, but they're starving to death. And see, that's, that's what pastor elders do. We feed, we care, we nurture your souls. We take care of you as those who must give an account. God was completely ticked off with Israel. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 13, Therefore my people go into exile for the lack of knowledge. They stopped feeding them. Isn't that amazing? They stopped feeding the sheep sheep food. You've heard me say this before. Dear friends said, feed them sheep food, the goats will choke on it. If you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus, you're probably not going to last real long because we're always talking about him. He's everything to us. Everything to us. And we feed sheep food here because that's the church. But God's always converting goats into sheep. That's what he does, right? He takes us, sinners, who are goats, who do not belong to him, and he makes us sheep. And so we have now, God will start to put within your taste, a spiritual taste for this truth. And you'll go, I don't know what this is. There's something drawing me. I have a desire to know this Christ, but I know I'm a sinner. All that stuff will be revealed to you, and you'll desire sheep food. But somewhere along the line, the nation quit giving out sheep food. And they started giving out goat food. And the nation went after idols and worshipped false gods. And, they, and their leaders led them astray. And they ended up dying terrible deaths because they didn't feed the flock. People go into exile for lack of knowledge. Hosea chapter 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being my priest. Since you have forgotten the law of God, I will also forget your children. That's God speaking, not me. You think he's serious about the leadership of how he cares for his people? This is what he does. Feed them. Feed them. We'll end. Just turn over a couple pages. Second Timothy chapter 4. We'll end here and pick the rest of this up next week. Second Timothy chapter 4. Men in leadership in this church, those who desire it, listen closely. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is, the, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. 
Can you ever, have you, can't even imagine building a more uh, stronger exhortation than being charged in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, the equality, the nature, and the essence they share, who will judge the living and the dead, will separate the sheep and goats, at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. <laughs> That's what we need what we feed. That's why I, I stay in a text. I work verse by verse, word by word, tediously. Sometimes I know you go, oh, he's going to get through this. You're just right here. This is it. This is the T-bone right here. This is the best piece is the Word of God. My stories don't save you. They don't sanctify you. They may help you understand the Word, but it is the Word of God that changes the heart. Notice he says, do this in season and out of season, reproof, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Uh, we have to remember that. Sometimes we preach and you go, I don't think anybody heard it. <laughs> and you go, oh, Lord, you know, and then the Lord rebukes you. Be patient. <laughs> Look what I did with you. Study again this week. Go back again with my word. Well, none of the lambs showed up for, for the feeding. Study again, go back, put it back out there again. Well, Lord, they didn't show up. The person I prayed for all week, I wanted there to hear this message, they didn't show up. Go study, prepare the message again, go out and feed again. But Lord, but uh, I build my flock. <laughs> go study, shepherd the people, do it again. Because the problem is, is there's a time coming, verse 3, where they will no longer endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers according to their desires. Boy, the accumulation is on. Our church is getting rarer and rarer. And I, I don't want to knock down anybody or build up anybody, but it just is that way. Very, there's getting to be very few churches that will say, we're just going to preach your word. And they'll turn away, verse 4, will turn away their ears from truth and will turn aside to myths. Turn aside to myths. May sound religious. May have a few verses mixed in and out of it. But it won't be God's word. Because people who are after God's word, it's getting a little thinner. And the Bible said that would happen. There will be times where we won't have the masses coming out to hear God's word taught anymore. It will get thinner. But... I don't think that's happening here. I think God is at work. I'm excited for where the church is going. I'm excited about our new bylaws. I think they're the most biblical set of bylaws I've ever been involved in writing. I, I'm very excited to get them to you. And I, and I have a family meeting on the November 14th to, to read those and pass them through and, and move on as we continue to build what God's doing. But this is true. This is true. Now, next week we're going to come back and say, okay, what's the responsibility of the sheep? Don't miss that. Find somebody who isn't here today because we want them to come back because we just laid out, that's our responsibility, heavy responsibility God's given to the leadership of the church. Now, what do the sheep do? What's their role? So we're going to come back and look at that next week, okay? All right, amen. Father, thank you for a chance to read your word, to study from it, to feed, to feed deeply on truth, Lord. And so we pray that this church will always be dedicated to the proclamation the preaching, the teaching, instruction of your word, Lord. Lord, let us not, let us not vary from that, from left to the left or the right, Lord, but keep us on target. And Father, remind us that the church is made up of both shepherd and sheep. In fact, we're all sheep, Lord. And some of us, maybe for a short time, are accountable to you, Lord, to lead. 
But to all of us, Lord, you are the chief shepherd. Our goals, our ambitions are all built in you, Lord. So, Father, please help us. Give us a deeper love for your son. It'll affect us, Lord, affect our marriages, our parenting, our businesses, our our residential life with neighbors. It'll affect everything, Lord, when we love your son in the word. And so help Riverbend continue on that direction, Lord. Thank you for this beautiful people. Thank you that you called me, Lord, and I speak on behalf of our other pastor elders, that you called us to shepherd such a kind, loving group of people. But let us still excel more, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.